Welcome everyone to As For Me and My House Season 2. Thanks for joining us in your homes, around your tables, or in your small groups in our church-wide study, Promises Kept, the whole story of the Bible. This is part one of chapter five, Ever Reigning King. We all forget things. It's one thing to forget your keys, your glasses, your passport, and be inconvenienced. It is another thing to forget, say, a wedding anniversary and be in the doghouse. But what happens when we forget God? What happened when Israel forgot God? Well, in the book of Judges, we see the answers in vivid and stunning detail. In the book of Judges, we see God's people forgetting God and going from God their own way, resulting in a tragic downward spiral. Yeah, the book of Judges is a sobering examination of humanity's condition that highlights our need for a deliverer. But before we go there, what have we missed? Well, under Moses' leadership, God brought Israel to the edge of the land that he had promised to give them. And here's where we say, so long, Moses, and hello, Joshua. Joshua, Moses' successor, leads the 12 tribes of Israel, defeats the people living in the land of Canaan. Now they are in the promised land, and they're enjoying the blessing of living under God's rule. But it doesn't last long. We say goodbye to Joshua because he's only a man and he does not live forever. And it's after Joshua dies, it all goes off the rails. What happens? Well, this takes us to Judges, which we'll be spending a little time in. Judges 2 verse 10, in the middle of the verse, it tells us, And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. This verse is unbelievably sad to me. Because the people of God were not diligent to teach their kids about God, a generation arose who did not know the Lord. As parents, this is our first and most important priority. But they did not listen to Moses' commands before entering the promised land. They did not have the commands of God on their heart. They did not talk of them when they sat in their homes and walked by the way when they lied down and rose They did not bind them as signs over their hands and frontlets between their eyes. They did not write them on the doorposts of their house and on their gates. They got busy. They were not intentional to pass down the faith. And so their children did not know the Lord. So let this be an encouragement and an appeal really to us to make a priority to to disciple our children. Mm. Uh, our, Our children should not leave our homes without knowing the whole story of the Bible, knowing God's commands knowing who God is and what he has done. Right. In our home, we start our day with the word and we end our day with devotions. Let us find ways to prioritize God's word and to build it into the rhythms of our days. At the same time, if you are a young person under your parents' roof, you must accept that ultimate responsibility to follow the Lord. Even if your parents are trying to raise you in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, what else can they do? The burden is yours to know the Lord. So in Judges, these kids grew up and they did not know the Lord. They were more influenced by the culture around them than by the word of God. And do you know what happens when an entire generation does not know the Lord? Mm. Well, that's chapter 2, verse 11. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. And they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. They went after other gods from among the gods of the peoples who were around them and bowed down to them. And they provoked the Lord to anger. Mm. They abandoned the Lord and served the Baals and the Ashtaroth. So what happened is they did not hear about the greatness of their God from their families, or if they did hear, they did not believe. Mm. And they believed, rather, their friends. 
Their friends who talked about the greatness of Baal and Ashtaroth, they bowed down to these gods, and they abandoned the Lord who had delivered their families out of bondage of slavery. Now, we might ask, why these gods? Uh, This maybe makes no sense to us. Baal and Ashtaroth? uh, You know, sometimes our modern ears can't understand how anyone would fall for something so primitive as an idol like this. How could they possibly go this way? Uh, Well, here's the answer. We don't really want to get into this too much, but let's just know that there was something sensual about these gods. There was something grossly sensual about how these gods were understood and set up uh, that appealed to physical desires and lusts. Let's just say this. Let's just know that these gods are still around. They are still set up in the lustful landscape of our day, just with different names, different addresses that one can visit. Just like Israel, to abandon the Lord today is to inevitably serve the immoral gods of our day. So what was the result? Verses 14 through 16 tells us. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he gave them over to the plunderers who plundered them. And he sold them into the hands of the surrounding enemies so that they could no longer withstand their enemies. Whenever they marched out, the hand of the Lord was against them for harm, as the Lord had warned and as the Lord had sworn to them. And they were in terrible distress. So they forgot the Lord. They turned away from him, and the Lord brought distress and trouble. This was the very thing God said would happen if they turned away from him. If they lived for him wholeheartedly, they were promised blessing, provision, protection, and abundant prosperity. If they turned from him, they would know the curses of the covenant. And this is exactly what they are experiencing. They forgot the Lord. They turned away from him. And so the Lord brought trouble into their lives. They were distressed. And in their distress, they cry out to God. Now, isn't that interesting? They go to Baal and Ashtaroth, but when things get really hard, they cry out to the one true God. And here is the great mercy of God. He heard their prayers and he answered them. Verse 16, then the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hand of those who plundered them. Here, God shows himself to be the only God, Israel's only hope, their only help. God's grace is to raise up judges and bring times of peace. But here now is the problem. The judges are just human men. Mm-hmm. They, they die, and that's a problem. They don't last. And because they don't last, the cycle starts again. The people turn away from God. He brings distress. They cry out to him, and he raises up judges. Over and over, round and round, this cycle goes. But each time, things get progressively worse. The author of Judges gives his commentary on all of this. Here is the final summary in Judges 17, verse 6. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Wow, that last line sounds a lot like our culture we live in, doesn't it? Yeah. This thinking is condemned in scripture, that everyone did what was right in his own eyes. God has shown us that there is right and wrong. There is good and evil. We are not to choose what is right in our own eyes, but to look to his word, which is truth. Truth is not relativistic. It is not fluid. Yeah, so God's people got swept up in the culture. Everyone doing what was right in their own eyes. And the problem with doing what is right in your own eyes is that you think you are right. Mm. You have a conviction that your actions are right And thus thus you do it, whatever it is, though it may not be right. Not right in God's eyes, Mm -hmm. the eyes of whom matter only. 
So what this really is, is self-delusion and self-deception. And this is not the way things were supposed to be. When God delivered the Israelites from Egyptian bondage and gave them his law, he established himself as their king. They were to do what was right in his eyes and walk in his ways that they would know his blessing. So Judges is a sobering, again, examination of humanity's condition. But let's just take a step back for a few minutes and ask a few questions. First question, what does this tell us about what God's people are like? It tells us that God's people, and today that is the church of Jesus Christ, that God's people are prone to forget the Lord. And when forgetting, to go away from him to other gods. Remember, this was God's people. This is not the people of Canaan. It was God's people. Right. Second, it tells us that we cannot rest on our father's faith, but we must be exercising our own faith in the Lord. And third, it tells us that we can be deceived and self-deceived in our thinking, that we are doing right when in fact we are doing wrong. You know, the Bible talks about this much and the Lord condemns it. Such as Isaiah 5 verse 20. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and shrewd in their own sight. So this doing what is right in our own eyes, do we see this in the church today? Well, tragically we do. Um, For example, in many churches capitulating to the moral revolution of our day, Mm -hmm. you know, today's moral revolution uh, just demands many things. It demands a a total redefining of authority, Mm -hmm. of personal identity, and much more. It it demands that we jettison the Lord's revelation in Scripture uh, of his created order and his commands. And the tragedy is that many churches have been undergoing these cultural updates to be more fitting with the times. You know, it's kind of like your cell phone, right? There's always these updates, uh, and they never end. There's always another one coming. Mm -hmm. And many in the church, these things seem so right when it is so wrong, so wrong in God's eyes. We also see it, this doing what is right in our own eyes today, I think, in the church and in our culture, in the uh, liberal social justice agenda. There is a practicing uh, of a brand of justice that is right in our own eyes that may not be right in God's eyes. Basically, anytime we soften, weaken, ignore, or dance around the word of God and its commands, we are doing right in our own eyes. We need the word of God. The word of God is meant to be our authority. It shows us right and wrong. If we decide for ourselves what we think is right and wrong, if we put ourselves above the word, If we are judges over it, then we are sitting with the people in the time of the judges. We are in a dangerous place. We are perilously close to judgment, the Lord's just judgment. We must repent and align ourselves under the authoritative word of God. And here's another question. What does all of this in this book of Judges, what does it tell us about the benefits and the limitations of human leaders? Mm -hmm. I think what it tells us is this. Some human leaders, some get it right. Some get it wrong, some get it right, then wrong, or wrong, then right. All human leaders are subject to error. Mm. And another thing we see is that all human leaders, well, all of them die. Eventually, they go away. Right. A good leader is a blessing and it leads people in a good direction, but it never seems to go well for the people once he's gone. Thus, what we learn is that, you know, we cannot put our ultimate hope in a human leader. Mm. And that is precisely what Israel would then go on to do. 
as we're now going to move forward to the book of 1 Samuel. As 1 Samuel opens, what we find is that a good judge is no longer enough for Israel. Now in 1 Samuel, Israel is insisting on a human king. 1 Samuel 8 verse 5, the second half of that verse, they say, Now appoint for us a king to judge us like the nations. And that's a key phrase, like all the nations. You know, God's people, they are always in trouble when our standard is to be like everyone else, to be like all the other nations. Mm. We are not to be like all the other nations, but to go into the nations heralding the true king. In Judges 17 verse 6, they said they had no king, but they did have a king. God was their king. They just wanted a different king. They wanted a king like the nations when they could see. This is where their hope was. And and don't we see this today in our Mm. context? Uh, putting so much hope in man. Mm. Uh, Just look at the frenzy of the most recent elections, Mm. uh, particularly down south. Now, elections, they matter. They matter greatly. But amidst the fog of these elections, one thing is so very clear in the fog, and that is that many, many have their ultimate hope in a person, Mm. in a human king, in a president. Now, what does the Lord think of this? Well, what was the Lord's response to Israel's request for a human king? 1 Samuel 8, 7 says, The Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people in all that they say to to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. God said their request for a human king was actually a rejection of the true king, a rejection of the Lord himself. You know, also the Lord would go on to say in 1 Samuel that the high cost of this request. In other words, the old adage would be true to be careful what you ask for because you just may get it. And they did. They did get it. They got Saul. Saul, who was foolish and strong, and he didn't last long. They got Saul as their first human king, and this was really the king that they deserved. But then after Saul, God brought them David, a man after his own heart, a shepherd boy who loved him. In David, God gave them a king they did not deserve. He was God's anointed one who worshipped God, obeyed God, and sought repentance when he disobeyed. He led the people in worship of the one true God and in trusting and obeying him. Under David, Israel enjoyed God's blessing in God's land with God's chosen king. It was a high point of Israel's history. But again, uh, David, he was just a man. And like all men, he wasn't perfect. And like all men, he would pass away. He would not last forever. Mm. And then what? Well, there is a wonderful promise from God to David that gives us hope for the future. What does God promise to David and from David? Well, for this, we look at 2 Samuel seven twelve. God says, I will raise up your offspring... After you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. Amazing. From David's line, one would come who would be the perfect ruler, and he would reign eternally. This is a great promise, a throne that would be established forever. This is what people need, a flawless king, one who will never leave them. David prayed a great prayer of gratitude for this amazing promise. And I am amazed at what David himself says about this king. 
You know, right now I'm memorizing Psalm 145, and it is a beautiful psalm of praise. And David begins the psalm saying, I will extol you, my God and King. David was king, but he was praising his God, whom he acknowledged as the true king. No wonder he was a good king. He put himself under the true king, God himself. And in verse 13, David proclaims to the Lord, your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. I think this is just a hint of things to come. Yes, and we could also look at Isaiah chapter 9. And here this gives us a very revealing prophecy as to who this son of David, this ever reigning king would be. Uh, Isaiah 9, 6, and 7. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of his peace, there will be no end upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. And you'll know, you know, this is where we leave off today. Uh, Israel's ultimate hope was not in human governments that would fail, just as our hope cannot be in a human government because they are flawed and they will never be about to bring the promised change or the proper change always. But our hope is in a king whose rule and reign will be established forever. This everlasting king is the one who will make all things right. And we will learn more about this new King David, this king from the line of David, and his perfect eternal government in two weeks. Thanks for joining us today. This podcast comes out every second Friday. Join us again in two weeks as we continue in our study through Promises Kept, the whole story of the Bible. We will be diving into the second half of chapter 5, Ever Reigning King. May the Lord bless you in Christ. See you next time.